Welcome to the Fit Archer Podcast, my friends. On this latest episode, I sit down with my good friend, Big Mo 101. His actual name is Miguel Morales. They call him Mike or Big Mo, Big Mo 101 on, on Instagram. He's an absolute long-range archery master. And what I mean by that is the guy can just flat-out shoot a bow like you wouldn't believe. Eight years in a row, he has killed a coos deer over 100 inches at some long-range shooting. I, I don't talk about the distances. That's for everybody to... Uh, say for themselves, but I followed uh, Big Mo on Instagram for quite a long time. I've had some communication with him back and forth, and he's helped me with some shooting tips and tactics and stuff like that because he is such an incredible shot. And I just reached out to him and said, hey, would you be willing to jump on the Fit Archer podcast and share some tips, tactics, and gear of what makes you so successful and how you've been doing it? And we just sat down, got done with two hours of a podcast, and so had a really, really great time. I got matter of fact, I told him, I said, Big Mo, we, we spoke for two hours. He looked, he goes, man, time has flown, but we cover everything from what got him into archery and hunting through and going through his uh, archery career, talking about some of his stalking techniques, glassing techniques, shooting techniques, shooting setups, and all those kind of things. So I think you're going to have a, I think you're going to learn a lot on this. I learned a ton on this episode, and, and for, as far as I go, uh, or as far as it goes for me, man, I geek out on this stuff. And so I think you're going to like it as much as I do. I also want to thank my good friend, Patrick Wright, over at Numa Productions for supplying, editing, making it all sound good. Because as I always say, on this end of the podcast, I'm a nightmare. And he cleans everything up and makes me sound really, really good. We're also on YouTube on the Fit Archer. You can find us on YouTube. I did video this podcast as Miguel is down in Nogales, Arizona, and I'm in Phoenix, so we did it via Zoom, and you can see it. He actually shows his new bow he's shooting, and I show some stuff off too. So you can actually watch the podcast as well. So I hope you're enjoying as much as we are, everybody. we got some more great podcasts coming up. And if you would, go to uh, uh, everywhere you can and give us a review. Hammer that star and give us a rating and share this with your friends and family. We'd love to help out in any way that we can. God bless you. God bless our country. You are listening to the Fit Archer Podcast. All hunting, all fitness, all the time. Well, Big Mo, how you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good. Good. Well, thanks for joining the thanks for joining the Fit Archer Podcast. I've been excited to I was a little nervous to reach out to you, to be honest, because we don't necessarily know each other, but I thought the other day, I'm like, what the heck? He'll either say yeah or he'll say no, but I know you got a lot of a uh, lot of wisdom I'd love to pull from you. So I sent you a message. You say yeah, we can do it. So here we are. I appreciate you jumping on the podcast. You know, I mean, the thing is, is that you know I, I've seen you on Instagram. You know, I, I see your post. You know, I've reached out to you a couple of times. We go back and forth or whatever. So there's you know there's no reason why not to do something like this. And you know, if if I can help somebody, you know, I, I'm happy to do so. Yeah, well, that's good. Well, what we cover on here, as you probably know, is uh, all hunting, all fitness, all the time. And and I'm a big time. I, well, I'm not a big time hunter. I love to hunt. Um, I'm obsessed with it. I'm not big time because I'm not real great at it. I just love to do it. I've done it for since I've been about four years old. So, you know, a long time, 39 years I've been in the woods and doing stuff. And you got animals all over behind you. You got a ton of success. I can't wait to hear about. And uh, yeah, you know, you've been you've been a every time I put anything on Instagram, um, and lately I've been putting some things up about shooting. 
I was always hoping you'd chime in because I know that you're dialed in and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. You're, you're dialed in with your shooting and you've done some amazing things and killed some great animals at, at pushing good distance. And we'll talk about that too. So I'm always excited when you chime in and give me some advice. We just talked about that, you know, off the air a little bit, some of the stuff that you helped me with. So I appreciate it. No, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm here to help. You know what I mean? Um, in, in today's day and age, when, when you get on social media and stuff like that, um, there's a few people that, that generally, you know, are trying to look for help or whatever. And if there's something that I can help them with, you know, I just try not to, you know, don't want to sound arrogant or anything like that. I just kind of want to help them out and, and, uh, hopefully they, you know, they better themselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, Tell us about yourself. I'll, I'm going to call you Big Mo. I'll probably call you Miguel. I'll call you Mike. You said you've been called worse. So what, you know, just tell us about yourself. Where do you live? You know, how did you grow up and, and uh, how did you get into hunting and that kind of thing? Well, I'm, I was born and raised here in Nogales, Arizona. I did, uh, I, I, mostly I was rifle hunting with my dad. That's, that's how I started off hunting was with my father. And, uh, you know, he still hunts to this day. He never really picked up a bow, but um, we definitely go out there and, and give it heck whenever we can. And um, so I took off to the, I've always had this thing. I used to see, uh, I had this neighbor that uh, I would always see him shooting in his backyard, you know, with a bow. And it was just something that always interests me, you know. And, uh, you know, my dad kind of, you know, f- fed the fire a little bit. He, he got me a couple of bows, you know. One was a PSE, uh, spirit. I, we still have it to this day. It's, it was, uh, probably a long time ago, long time ago. And, um, just started off, you know, doing stuff like that. And then, uh, I, I took off to the Marine Corps and, um, I had, you know, it was kind of a, uh, a blessing that, you know, in San Diego, there's a shop over there, performance archery with Bob Frum. Dude's a killer, man. I mean, he killed all 29 species. He had a, you know, he's had world record animals. I mean, guy can really get it done. And, you know, I used to go there just every weekend and just kind of, you know, I'm I'm sure I bothered him too. You know, I mean, it was one of those things where I was there all the time, you know, and just kind of seeing and going and, and, you know, picked up, you know, I, I got another bow and just started shooting and, and uh, started hunting and, you know, all of a sudden came home and was able to put it together on a deer. And, you know, it's just progressive, man. I mean, it's just something that's always interests me. And I just had a, a really good time doing it, you know, and, and uh, it's just a constant, uh, you know, it's like you talk to people and they're like, oh man, you know, you you do this or you do that. And it's like, you don't see the triumphs. All you see is your shortcomings, you know, and you're just constantly trying to get it going to where you're at a higher level. And I, that's just what I've been doing for the, you know, past 20 years that I've been hunting seriously with the bow. So does it ever um, surprise you that Bob from who I've been following ever since you could really follow somebody even way before social media, I, I used to watch some of his videos. My brother moved to Las Vegas way back in 96. And he told me about Bob from, you know, he shot long bows with fingers back then. And, but to have a shop as successful as his and to do what he's done in San Diego, California, just doesn't seem like that makes sense, does it? 
you know what? I mean, he's he's from there. Uh, does a lot of surfing, plays a lot of tennis, and but he gets after it, man. I mean, he gets after it, and and uh, you know, people think, oh, well, you just go out there and you just kill an animal. It, it, there's a lot more to it than that, you know. When when you get into that stage of the game, um, it it's really, you know, there's a lot of research that goes into it. There's a lot of, you know, dude, it's it's just eye opening the amount amount of stuff that he knows so it's been uh you know i still keep in touch with him and we still uh you know uh you know we have a good time he's come out to hunt out here with me you know uh once and so it's we've we've maintained the relationship that's really cool that's really cool so your first hunts as you got uh got going into it come back to nogales uh, you know i have a big listener base back in the midwest because that's where i'm originally from as well they will probably never ever understand the the beauty that you live in. I've stayed down at Nogales a few times because uh, my good friend Nick DeBaca, who uh, you guys mm-hmm. have communicated back and forth, one of uh, Dwayne Adams' guides, um, they do a lot of hunting down that area. So we'd always stay at the I think it was the Motel Six in Nogales, and then we would hunt some of those units down there. Man, you uh-huh. are in coos deer, mule deer heaven. I mean, kind of explain to some listeners that don't know you know, that part of the, the country or, you know, where, where even where that is, what's that like growing up there? I mean, that's a blessing growing up there. There's no mule deer and there's no coos deer down here. So. <laughs> <Forget> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Just, just grizzly bears, just grizzly bears. Stay out of here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been, uh, you know, it, it seems like in all reality, like the mule deer haven't been doing that. When I first started hunting 20 years ago, I remember seeing huge bucks, huge mule deer bucks all over the place. I was just never good enough to get one, you know, but uh, it was one of those things where, you know, coos deer kind of, kind of took over for a while and and I've just been hunting them ever since. But the the thing is, is that there's just a lot of country all over the place. You know, I mean, you go half, half hour in either direction from Nogales and, you know, there's a lot of country to cover. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it really has been a blessing, you know, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, I do a little bit of guiding and you'll see these people that, you know, they come from all over to hunt, you know, the, the diminutive coos deer, you know, and it's been, uh, it's, it's been an eye opening experience seeing what everybody else thinks of, you know, this area and stuff like that, because when you see it day in, day out, you know, it doesn't seem that special, but when you go out and you actually, be, you know, you see what you see and you compare it to what other people have seen, you know, you, you see that there is something special down here. Well, I'll, I'll talk from the Midwest standpoint because I, I grew up in Wisconsin and lived there till I was 38 years old. So seven years ago, I moved here to Phoenix. So growing up, you know, we're hunting big Eastern whitetails, Midwest whitetails. So big 200 pounds field dressed, you know, beautiful animals right. and just big, big racks, you know, 150 plus racks, you know, you get a 160, 170 inch buck, whitetail buck back in the Midwest. And you're, you're talking mega giants. So when I moved down here, my friend, Nick, who we'd been friends for a long time, he started talking about coos deer. 
And I could never wrap my mind around. You see a lot, this, this happened a lot with people from the East and the Midwest. All they want to chase is mule deer. So when I moved down, all I wanted to chase was mule deer. I'm like, I want the big racks, the big deer, you know, the strip, the kaibab bucks everybody hears from the Midwest. Right. And then I went in, uh, you know, Nick was guiding some hunting. Actually, my son drew a tag and, and I, I got him to go with Nick. And Nick took us out and we're hunting some coos deer. And I'll tell you, I don't care the size of a coos deer. I absolutely fell in love with everything about coos deer. Now, I, 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 bow, I bow hunt a lot up this way because I am in Phoenix. So I don't come bow hunting your way a lot because it's just quite a ways out of the way. So I'm bow hunting a lot of mule deer, central Arizona, although there's some good coos deer hunting. Um, but there is nothing like picking up your big glass and trying to pick a hillside apart and find these little coos deer. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely addicting. I tell all my friends and they're like, well, that's that little white tail, ain't it? And that's what I used to call it, that little white tail. But they're a different animal to hunt. That is for sure. Yeah, I mean, they, they are, you know, a lot of people will tell you that they're argu- arguably one of the most difficult animals to, to hunt, you know, period, with a rifle or a bow. And, uh, you know, I kind of I kind of have been spoiled in that regard that I've, you know, one of the toughest animals is right here in my backyard and I get to, you know, chase them every year, you know. So it's been... Uh, you know, it, it is a blessing, you know, I mean, you go and you hunt mule deer, you know, like you know, I've gone up to, you know, Utah and Colorado and stuff like that. And uh, you can get away with a lot, a, a lot more than what you can if you were coos deer hunting. So it's, uh, it really, it really keeps you sharp. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So basically the, the better coos deer hunter you are, just the better you're going to be in general because they are, you know, we got to. My son's coos deer, well, it's up in his room. I can't show it. My son's coos deer, he shot a couple years ago. Uh, we got to, he was gun hunting it, and he was 11 or 12 at the time. So bow hunting really wasn't, he, he's not really into bow hunting. He's, he's getting more into bow hunting now. But we, we were on a rifle hunt, and we stopped at that 300-yard mark. And, I mean, man, that deer was on us. Like, trying to close that distance from 300 in seems to be like, you know, every animal's got his comfort zone. You get some of those desert mule deer, and they'll let you get to 150. That's, you know maybe 180 that's our comfort zone and then all of a sudden they're just going to keep keep their distance coos deer not so much so to get on them is take some skill yeah and like i said you know i mean you you kind of know what you can get away with you know i you know i've had a pretty good feel of what i can and can't get away with and it's and but like i said it just surprises me what i can get away with with some of those other you know like the other places that i go hunt so it's like I mean, there's other, there's other factors involved, you know, I mean, you know, like I know in Colorado, man, it was just steep stuff, you know, and high altitude and it was just, it was just an ass kicker. But, you know, the, the thing is, is that the, the animal itself is not as difficult to hunt, you know, as it, as, as, as a coos deer. You know, before I keep going and hunting, I, I just it just popped into my mind. Nogales, there's Nogales, Mexico, and Nogales, Arizona, right, right in the right in the. So we're big into baseball, and not only do you does Nogales have incredible hunting, but you guys produce out of Nogales some of the most phenomenal baseball players I've ever seen. So I, I help coach my son's baseball team. Is last year or the year before we had a team from Nogales who just traveled back from. They were in, I don't know where they were. They've been traveling state to state and they had, they had more fun playing baseball than anybody they've seen. They were not big kids. They weren't like the typical, when you're 13, 14, 
you know, 12, 13, 14, usually your bigger kids are your better kids. They just matured a little bit earlier in baseball. And these kids weren't, they, they, matter of fact, we're a smaller team and they were our size, if not smaller. And I've never seen a team hit like them in my life. They, they 10 run rule less than three innings. There's probably 15 run rules. I mean, it wasn't even funny how it, two strike, two strike. They were, they were the best two strike hitters I've ever seen. Middle to right side, middle to right side, just line drive, line drive. And they were having more fun. They walked through and 10 run ruled every single team in that tournament. And when they 10 run that team in the finals, that was a team that rarely ever gets beat in the Valley. This was a dominant team up here. And no, your Nogales team absolutely destroyed them. And, you know, we got to talk to some of the, the coaches and stuff. And he's like, yeah, we just got back from Colorado. We won this tournament. We won this tournament. We won this tournament. And he goes, these kids just love to have fun. And they all had their bump songs. So when they came up, they had their music going. And they're dancing on their way up there. And, of course, some of our parents and our kids, are they're looking at it like they're mad. And we got done with that game. And I said, I've never had more fun getting beat than by that team. My <laughs> wife and I still talk about them, like because they were playing baseball and sports the right way. They were having a ton of fun doing it. So I never talked to anybody from Nogales. So it, it's always been on my mind. I have to tell you, you guys put out some amazing baseball players too. So I don't know if you know any of them. Well, but I know they've been in the paper a few times for, you know, for their baseball exploits, you know. So Oh, man, they're, they're, they're incredible. So let's, you know, here's, um, so I've been following you for quite a long time since I've been on Instagram and actually Nick DeBacca was the one who turned me on to you. Um, he's like, man, you got to follow uh, big mo one one on Instagram. And I'd, I'd encourage everybody to follow him. He's like, he is killing coos deer every single year. And so to, to tell some listeners that don't understand a big coos deer, maybe explain what a, what a good coos deer is again, you know, good Midwest and you get a hundred and I think 135 inches is Pope and young for a, a Midwestern whitetail. 167, I think is Boone and Crockett's, you know, that's big. I'm not sure what a Pope and Young coos deer is, uh, what size it is. I think it's like 65 or 70 or something like that. Um, but the Boone and Crockett for, for uh, coos deer is 110 typical. And um, so if you shoot a deer with a rifle, that's actually, um, that's Boone and Crockett all time. 100 inches is Boone and Crockett, you know, where they are. Uh, it's kind of like a honorable mention type of thing. Yeah. So, you know, it's, you kill a deer that's a hundred inches or better. Um, that's considered a pretty nice. Deer. Yeah. And so somebody from the Midwest is thinking a hundred inches. That's small. Boy, that's a big, that's a big coos deer. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good coos deer. Uh, I think Dwayne has, I've been down to Dwayne's many times, Dwayne Adams. I think he's got like a, when he first started doing it, he had like, one of the top coos deer that was ever shot. He shot like 30 some years ago, whatever it was. It was like a 140 coos deer. There's guys in Wisconsin that don't even, they don't even breathe at 140 inch whitetail. You get out here at 140 inch coos deer and that thing is, that's getting paraded around the Southwest for a long time. That's ginormous. That's ginormous. That is like once in a lifetime type type animal. That's incredible. And they look, it's, they're, 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 I have a, one of my, Midwestern whitetails have a 140 inch, 142 inch eight pointer. So he's a big eight pointer sitting up in my room on the wall. Well, it's not on the wall yet, but, and I look at it and I'm like, oh, that's a good looking deer. But then I walk into my son's room and it's probably a 70 some inch, uh, three point coos deer they shot. And I'm like, I would much rather look at that coos deer. It's a prettier deer. And I know my friends are going to be mad at me that I say that, but they're a really pretty deer too. You know what? And they are, you know, they're just, What's really nice is when you get to see them interacting with each other. You see 
you know, uh, 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 the the buck that just kind of dwarfs a doe, and doe is just so sleek, you know, just a beautiful animal, you know, and and couple that with the ability to just you just don't know how many times I've been in the glass looking, and then I get out of the glass just to clear my eyes or sneeze or something, and I go back in, he's gone. Where'd he go? What happened? Takes me 10, 15 minutes just to be, oh, okay, he laid down. Oh, okay, he went behind this tree. It's just, I mean, it's just an incredible animal to be hunting, you know, and like you said, I, I really do enjoy looking at him. Yeah, the gray, they call them, the, they don't call them the gray ghost for nothing. But so Nick told me, he said, JP, you got to follow this big mole 101 on Instagram. He goes, he is killing a hundred inch coos deer every year with his bow. And I'm like, what? Like, I mean, you know, in, in, I wasn't doubting it. I'm just like, I, I, my what was like, what? I got to follow this guy. Like, I want to, I want to see what he's doing. I just want to look at the animals and then right. seeing the distances that you're shooting him at, um, which I think is incredible and it tells me one thing you're dialed in you're meticulous you've got it you've got it figured out so maybe tell me about um give me some tips maybe that you kind of walk through if if i'm a newer hunter and i decide i want to because obviously if we're going to do it with bow hunting it's spot and stock and you know we get a chance to hunt them in the pre-rut in the rut here which is to our advantage uh what are some things that you would tell a newer guy like me you know that to to watch out for what are some things that you've learned over the years of and i think what you were on a string of seven years in a row you did that seven years in a row 100 inch buck every year you might be on eight years you might be on nine years i'm not sure what it is but it's i'm on eight years um i actually (laughs) i actually passed up a uh, couple of 105 inch deer this year because i got 14 bonus points so i might try my luck at maybe trying to get a strip tag or something like that. You don't want to put in for the strip. You don't, you don't want to put in for that. I'm only at 10, so I, I don't want any more competition. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons that, that I just kind of, well, you know, I mean, I got a, I got a couple of those, so maybe I should try and see what I can do as far as the mule deer goes. You know what I mean? I shot a 180 inch mule deer uh, back in 09 down here um, that I was pretty happy with, but um you know, the, the times of seeing those type of animals, you know, they're few and far between, you know I mean? It's like, if you see something, if, if you're serious about hunting mule deer down here and you see something in the 160, you might want to shoot it, you know, because it's just not something that you see a whole lot anymore, you know? But um, I think as far as coos deer goes, um, glass. Glass is the number one thing. If you're going to spend money on anything, spend it on glass. Because that creates opportunities. And, you know, it's just kind of like uh, the more opportunities you create, it's just more chances that you're, you'll be able to walk into a situation that actually will uh, pan out, you know. Um, it's kind of like, you know, I, I used to be a recruiter and it was all about, you know, sales was all about making phone calls. The more phone calls you made, the more people you talked to, the more appointments you made, the more... So it just has to do with being able to have volume of animals to choose from, you know? So that's one of the big things. You got to have good glass, you know? And, and, um, and if you're going to spend money on anything else and you're a bow hunter, you know, you can get a used bow, but get the best arrows you can get with the best broadheads you can get. Those are the, that's, what's going to make the trip over there and, and put the animal on the ground. I think that, uh, really need to spend some good money on that. I, I think, uh, 
the the whole thing about shooting, you know, you know, hunting these guys is trying to make good on any opportunity that you have. And because uh, Lord knows you <laughs> sometimes you need quite a few of them. <laughs> so what do you but, run, uh, what are you running for glass? Like uh, obviously you're talking tripod. Then what do you run on your around your neck? Right now I'm, I'm I use the uh, I was using the Leicas, the ten by forty twos, the Geovids, but uh, right now I'm using the Sigs. But as far as uh, glassing goes, I use the uh, the uh, Swarovski two Swarovski spotting scopes on the plate, and that has really I've been running that for about I guess fifteen years now. And it's kind of hard to, to, I haven't found anything better really. So, well, you know, I, like I said, you can get up high and you can really pick apart stuff and, and really be able to see what's going on, you know? Yeah. Those, those, uh, dual spotters, Nick, Nick just puts them together. He puts some dual spotters and we, I've always had a spotting scope and I have the 15s, the Swarovski 15s, and those are great. We went out this last fall. We just we went into a new canyon, and you know we both had our fifteen. I had my fifteens on. I'm kind of glass in the canyon. I'm colorblind, so I don't. I always tell Nick, don't go by what I saw because a lot of animals, I, I can't. The contrast of their their color right. just doesn't stick out as much. I got to see movement more than I can just pick deer out. And so I glass this canyon. I'm like, I'm not seeing nothing. And I'm. He said, uh, you got to look through these dual spotters. And so he put them up, and we're just trying. He's putting them up, and he's going to adjust the the eyepiece on him just to kind of try to shrink him in for me. Cause he's a little bit wider eyed than I am. And all of a sudden he goes, Oh my gosh, there's a buck. And I never, it would have been very, very tough for me to find them with my 15s. Matter of fact, we went up to a high point. He was going to do the stock on it and he struggled to find them with the 15s, but those dual spotters, it was night and day difference. So that's, that's my next gig is to get another spotter and a plate and mount them side by side. Well, that's just a game changer. I got these, a little bit after, because Dwayne had a set of these. And back then, it was a guy out of um, either Delaware or Rhode Island. Uh, Randy Yon was a guy's name that, that uh, made the plates. He's since retired and stuff like that, you know. But uh, um, it was uh, Dwayne Adams and Rob Robertson that had the first sets that I knew of with twin spotters. And uh, I ended up getting a set. Um, me and another friend of mine. And um, I've just stuck with them ever since, you know. I, I went from, we had the 20 fixed powers back then. You don't see those anymore. But then I ended up getting um, the 25 to 50 wide angle zoom lenses, uh, the, the eyepieces. And that's, you know, it works. It definitely works. It's pushing your distance to see well past a mile. I mean, two mile. How far Dude, do you think I'm you're seeing? At uh, probably closer to three. Oh man! I mean, just talk about letting your eyes do the work for you. And and that's exactly it. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people, when I first started hunting, we used to just cover ground. It, it was just like we used to be ground pounders. You know, just keep going, keep going, and eventually you'll jump something. But you know, I'm never seen the amount of animals walking as I have glassing. And that's something that has stuck with me for, for quite a long time, you know, and, and with uh, spotters, just get up higher, get up further. You can see what's out there and then you can say, okay, well now I can glass from this other point and do this other thing. And that way you can get a better vantage point to be able to 
big in order to get within striking range, you know. But um, you know, sometimes I think uh, you know, as far as tips go, uh, bide your time, be patient. But when it's time to go, go. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what one of the things that that's uh, once you see the situation where it's going to pan out, where you know, and and I've had quite a bit of experience messing it up. So, you know, you kind of see, you see a situation, it's like, well, this has worked in the past, get on it. If it's not working, if it's not something that's worked out in the past, there's no point in going over there and blowing out the animal type of thing, you know? So that uh, being able to glass them up, being, you know, the more you, the more animals you get to see, the more you get to learn from, from you know, from past experiences, you know? Right, right. So you switched from the Leicas to the Sigs. How come? What was the, what was the kind of deciding factor there? I've never used either of them. My brother has Leicas, ten by forty twos, loves them, but the new Sigs are really coming on uh, multiple pieces that they have. Well, I have that right now. I have those Sigs, the three thousand, the binoculars, and one of the reasons that I ended up going to that one is that um, when I guide. I usually have my own rifle that I give the, you know, that I let the clients use. And um, I use a Kestrel and that, ha- that connects with Bluetooth to the SIG. And it just makes for quick acquisition of the, you know, of the information you need, you know? So that's kind of why I made the switch. I still have the Leicas, but I mostly use the, uh, the SIGs. And those are 10 by 42s? Are those 10 by 42s? Yeah. And you find those to be good enough to, once you, you I mean, they're they big enough, more powerful enough for you? Well, the glass isn't as good as the Leica, but um, I don't really use the, I don't really use them to glass all that much. I'm usually using the, 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 the dual spotters, the big eyes. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. So, all right, you're up on a high point. You got your dual spotters. You find a buck a mile and a half out. Um, I know every scenario is different. I'm just kind of going generic here. Just some, just some tips. Selfishly, I'm trying to learn here, but you know, other okay. people are as well. Um, so I see a buck feeding. You know, obviously, you, we get to hunt them in the rut sometimes, and so they might be running does. Gives us a little bit of better opportunity. But what is it you're looking for when you say I'm looking for that opportunity to go? What is it? you know, something maybe from a generic standpoint that you'd say, Hey, this would, this would be a indicator that it's time to get off this mountain, close the distance and, and try to make a move on him. One scenario that I really like that I usually go out, go after the animal. If is, it's when the, the doe is bedded and that buck is fighting off other bucks. When they're fighting off other, other bucks, <laughs> you can get away with murder on them. And that's because there's, you know, there's so much movement. There's so much noise. Um, half the time, they don't even know um, that, that you're there. You know, they think that it's another small buck that they got to fight off. So they're not ready to take off. And even if they do make you out, they won't leave the dough. I mean, it's, it's, you got to bump them pretty bad for them to leave that dough. So sometimes, you know, that dough is kind of bedded in a cut or whatever. Man, you can get away with a lot. So is there certain, um, is there certain terrain you, I mean, you obviously know the country now, but certain terrain that you like better for spot and stock, 
we, we hunt all different kind of terrain down here, but you know, I, obviously coos are sometimes a little bit more in the, in the higher elevations, but I don't know down by you, is there, is there a better train you like? I mean, you get into the rolling hills and, and that's basically what you need. Just some broken up terrain. If you get in the flats, it gets to be real difficult just to be able to get landmarks and stuff like that. You know, you, it's really difficult to get, get it, you know, you know, you get in the trees in the flats it makes for a tough hunt, especially if you're by yourself, you know, even if you got somebody that, that can guide you in or whatever, sometimes it's pretty difficult to, to, uh, to do stuff in the flats. But, um, you know, I, it's one of those things where if you can see, if you can say, okay, you know what? I got these landmarks. If I get to here and we should be able to get it, get it done. That's when you go in. If, if you're like, man, I, I don't think I can see that. I don't think I can, I can really get over there. You know, whatever the, the thing is, if, if there's doubts, you got to figure them out before you go, because once you're there, it's too late. You know what I mean? You can't, you know, I mean, there's guys that would take pictures of the terrain and say, okay, this is a deer, you know, and kind of try and have like a, a picture there that'll kind of guide them a little bit. But once you come up, you know, if you're coming up from, from behind the hill to try and come up and over or anything like that, you really have to have, you know, your, your landmarks really well placed. If not, it's, it's, it's really difficult to try and put it together once you're there type of thing. You know what I mean? So I've hunted all over, you know, all over. The only thing that I really don't like is the really dense stuff just because, you, you know, the optics aren't as effective, but if you can see them, you can kill them type of thing, you know? So if for some reason, you know, you feel that you can't make a stock, you know, that's a good time to kind of sit there, watch them, see what they do, see what their habits are, see where they like to go. You know, I mean, um, it, it's just more information that you can gather, but uh, don't ever feel that it's necessary to be able to, that if you see the animal, it bets, oh, I got to go after it. That's, that can be a recipe for, for a disaster pretty quick if, if other things aren't in line, you know. It's difficult to, to say, okay, this is what I look for. It's just kind of one of those things where I see it. I've seen it before. I see their mannerisms. I see that they're digging out their bed, or I see that they've gotten up two or three times. I see that they're going to go bed in an area where the sun is going to be, uh, the shade is going to be there a lot longer, things of that nature. That's when you kind of say, okay, that's when you have more time to get over there. With a rut, I really look for that doe because if uh, if the doe is up and he starts chasing, you know, you might as well just wait until she's tired and because they'll go all over the place and it's there's no telling where they'll go, you know. But um, it's just a there is just a question of going out there and really seeing what's what can happen. You know, you you see the scenarios see how they play out, kind of put them in your memory bank and kind of feed off of that in the future, you know? That's but, good stuff. Uh, really, really good tips. Um, you, you said something that makes me want to ask this question. Are you typically hunting solo or do you, are you having some um, help? It, it, you know, spot and stock out here, sometimes without somebody, the moment you jump off the, the point, you lose them, you know? Are you hunting solo or are you hunting uh, tag team, someone walking you in? Um, I do both. You know what I mean? Sometimes 
uh, it's been kind of kind of half-half type of thing, you know, where some of the deer I killed, yeah, I killed with somebody that was with me and some of them I, I was with, you know, I was by myself, you know. So it's just, you can't, um, obviously when you have a partner, it's, it's awesome. And, and if you don't have a partner, well, I'm not going to stay home. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> got to get after it. You, know? you got to hunt when you can hunt. What about, yeah. um, what about bedded bucks? So you love the scenario when a, you know, a buck has ran a doe a lot. All of a sudden she starts to park it. She's going to sit and he's going to fight off other bucks, you know, as he's kind of tending her a little bit. What about a bedded buck? I've, I've heard different scenarios from people. They don't get into bedded bucks. They, they love them when they're bedded. How about you on a, on a bedded coos? You have to really kind of take a look at, at where he's bedded. You know what I mean? Because a lot of times they get into that thick stuff. If you can see them, if you could see that he's bedded or whatever and, and kind of um, have some shooting lanes, yeah, I'll go after him. But at the end of the day, you have to let the deer make the last move. You know, the, the, their vision is keen, especially when there's movement. And if you're trying to get in position to try and shoot him in his bed, uh, chances are you're probably going to blow him out. At least in my experience, you know, I'm sure guys have done it. I'm not saying that it's not possible, but uh, for me, I, I have a higher success rate when I just let them get up and do their thing. And then you just kind of zip an arrow through them. <laughs> well, it seems so. to be, you know, my last podcast, I had uh, Greg Krogan and he was talking about Randy Ulmer and uh, Jason Campbell and if I'm forgetting the other guy's name, uh, Jack Brittingham, some of these guys that have just are killing giant mule deer. And he said yeah. that he goes, you know, when they first started doing, it, they used to call it scouting escapades, like safari scouting, scouting safaris. Cause he said, we could never get these big deer killed. And he said, then we started going with some of these guys that were real killers that had some stalking abilities. What he noticed was they would get to that 150 yard mark on a bedded buck. And then they would wait. And then, you know, that was far enough away, typically where, as you know, I mean, when you're waiting an animal, whatever it is, the wind's always swirling out here. Um, you're in rolling hills, and you can just never get a solid wind unless you're up on top of a ridge. But he would get to that 150-yard mark. They would, these great stalkers that they were hunting with. And then when the deer got up, it only took them a few minutes to close the distance to where they were. But if they tried to push in past that, you know, 150, 100 yard mark on a bedded buck, typically they were getting, getting bumped. So, I mean, exactly what you're saying is, is the reason you're doing it. I mean, you're letting that, that buck make the mistake instead of you make the mistake. Yeah. I mean, usually I try and kind of get within my effective range when I do bed down, when I do kind of sit down and wait on them. Um, so that way I have a shot when they get up, but you really have to take a look at the wind and what it's doing. That's something else that, you know, I mean, you never really want to do it in the, you know, right in the morning because winds change, you know, direction changes, you know, a lot of things can happen. So you kind of, for me, it's all about just get within my, my max effective range and just wait them out, let him make the last move. And, you know, I'm not going to say works every time, but um, it, 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 I definitely up my chances by doing that. So what time of the day are you typically, are, if you had an average, if you're not doing it right away in the morning, which you know, we always know we can find them the best in the morning, they're more active, what, do you have an average time of the day that you're killing you know, the last eight bucks that you've killed the last 
I mean, you killed way more than eight, but the last eight over 100, you have an average time? Not really. <laughs> Not really. I mean, it's, it's just it is what it is. You know, sometimes it's just a chance encounter. And, you know, I was able to get the shot. There's other times that I sat on them. There's other times that, um, you know, I mean, it just kind of um, most of the time I kill them the third week of January. That's when I do most of my killing. But with that being said, the time of day, because they're running, because they're doing all this other stuff, it's very difficult to say, yeah, uh, this is when, when I usually, if I'm spotting stocking where the, where, where it's not really a, a rut based, usually it'll be about, you know, two or three o'clock, something like that. You know what I mean? Right. When I kill the animals, most of my animals. So third week of January, I would have thought it'd been closer to first week. I thought I, I would have thought it'd be more in there. So at, at your, your area or your hunting, I mean, it's all different. You got North, you know, kind of the mid Arizona, central Arizona coos deer. Then you get, you know, your Southern Arizona coos deer, obviously they rut different. What stage of the rut is that for you? Is that peak rut, um, post rut, you know, is it, is it tailing off at that point peak? They're on it. They're usually on it. That's when they're really tending the does and stuff like that. I've killed a few bucks that way. Um, it's, it's really when they're most vulnerable, in my opinion. Okay. Okay. So the bucks that you've killed, the, these last eight bucks that you killed, all within a what I'm what I'm getting at with this question is: Are you finding a lot of these bigger bucks are in the same location? Have you killed them multiple different units, different areas of that unit? Are you are you locked in an area like, hey, this is a big buck area, and I kill one out and another one funnels in? Yes. <laughs> And, and yes, if there's something you don't want to answer, don't I don't, I certainly never want to give no, away no, no. anything the, you, the, where the you hunt. I say that is because, you know, um, I've killed them in different units. I have killed them in, in the same spot. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, uh, burning gas, man. And glassing and, and, and just where you find them, you find them, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's really difficult to say, yeah, I'm just going to hunt this spot and I'll kill a big buck every year. You know what I mean? So it, you just, you just gotta, you gotta cover ground, man. And you gotta burn gas and you gotta spend time on top of the hill. And so that way you, uh, you see what's there. I mean, there was one point in time before I started killing these big bucks. Um, I used to, a friend of mine and, and myself, we used to, we used to cover like a lot of, a lot of ground. I mean, all the way from the Babakiris all the way to past the Huachucas. And uh, we were burning a lot of gas. But that year, we found 10 bucks that were over 110. And we killed, he, my buddy killed one of the ones that was kind of middle of the road. Uh, he was the one in the middle of the pack, and he ended up scoring like 124 or something like that. So... There's big bucks to be had all over the place. It's just that you got to get out there and you just got to uh, burn gas. And, and like I said, I mean, it's, it's, you know, one of the things people say, it's like, oh, well, you know, give me a spot. And the thing is, is that the reality is that some of the, you know, some of the, the spots that I really like to go visit, I don't see a lot of deer. You know what I mean? So, 
they're like, oh, well, you know, they, they think that the spot is what makes the hunt. And the thing is, is that, you know, like if, if, if it's a new guy, I'll send him to another spot where he sees more animals and has more opportunities to be able to, to get on something rather than see one buck. You might see one buck a day and then you're done. That's kind of rough to swallow, you know? I mean, I could tell them where to go, but they'd be like, oh man, you're crazy. There's no deer there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. do you find, of, do, uh-huh. do, do you find that, um, certain areas tend, and I know bucks will scatter all over the place and big bucks. Sometimes, you know, people talk about it, man, we could, we've, we found a giant buck half mile off the road. Nobody ever looks there, but do you, you find in the areas that you're hunting that some of your more mature bucks have a, you know, if you kill a mature buck out of a, out of a Canyon, another one just tends to move in there because it, it holds everything that they want. I mean, do you find, ever find that? Like we used to say that all the time with like big white tails, man, you'd kill a big one here and he, it's such a prime area that, that there's another big one just going to funnel in there. Cause it's, it's so prime. Right. It, it, that does happen. You know what I mean? And that's, that is going to happen, but it doesn't always mean that it's a deer that I want to go after, you know, because a nice buck could be, you know, a 95 inch buck and that's a mature buck, you know? And, but it's not something that I really want to go after. So got to go find something else, but you're right. I mean, it's like I said, that's why, you know, you got to cover ground. You got to be able, you know, especially like I try and and have, you know, a few bucks that I want to try and go after because it happens, man, you screw it up. You want to let that one rest a little bit. Well, that's not the time to be kind of messing around. So, Hey, let's move on to the next one and kind of, you know, see what happens with that one, that type of scenario. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, for the most part, you know, it's just covering ground. You got to cover ground. When are you doing all your scouting? Are you, do you do some early season hunting? Or, uh, I mean, are you after, if you can find a hundred inch buck in velvet, are you going after him? I, I actually, yeah, you, I mean, I'll go after him. You typically don't have an I mean, opportunity to shoot a deer. You've killed it in January, so your tag is, you've you got to wait till the following year, I suppose. Well, you know, one of the uh, eight was a velvet buck, and he ended up scoring like 112. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you get to see those two, you know. That year I ended up having a uh, an antelope tag, so I ended up getting an antelope, and then about a week later I kept on hunting and ended up getting that cruise deer, you know. So. It's, uh, you know, it, you just, it's the same, it's the same format. You just got to cover ground. You got to get, got to get behind the glass and, and you kind of have to, uh, you know, be persistent, you know? Well, what some people might not realize in, and there is no coos deer or mule deer in Arizona. They're, they're, you know, <laughs> they're droughted out. So the advice I'm going to tell somebody or the, the information I'm going to tell somebody, it's not going to do you any good if you're out of state and want to come down here and hunt anyway. <laughs> I joke about that. But, you know, we're fortunate in the, the amount that we can hunt. So, you know, if, you know I, can, I can buy a, a tag January 1, and I get an right. over-the-counter deer tag in a lot of the units, not your Premier, not your Strip, not your Kaibab, but in a majority of the units in Arizona, you know, as difficult as a state as it is to draw tags, there's, there, we have unbelievable hunting opportunities if you're an archery hunter. 
and there's just right. no deer here for anybody that wants to come out of state. So just keep in your own state. So I'm just kidding. Um, but we can buy, I can buy a tag in January and I can hunt all of January. And typically I'm hunting the rut. I mean, as you just, I am hunting the rut and that's mule deer yeah. and coos deer. If I don't fill that, <clears throat> I can hunt the early season. Uh, end of August, mid August, I get to hunt that early season. So I could be hunting deer in the, in velvet. And if I don't fill then in, in a, a handful of the units, some of the other good units, I can hunt from about mid December to the end of that year. So my tag, I buy a, you know, my license and my tag for all year and I can actually hunt three seasons. I mean, it's incredible. You know, this, you just don't find that really any other places. No, and like I said, that's one of the things that really makes Arizona such a, you know, you have such great opportunities out here is, you know, anybody can come out here at any time and, you know, get it, have a pretty good run at something that's pretty decent, you know. Yeah, the velvet ones, they just, uh, man, the big old velvet mule deer, though, that's why I'm waiting for that strip tag, but. Still a few years off. I was talking to Nick the other day and he's like, just put in for the early Kaibab and come gun hunting. And you know, I, I really, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bow hunter, uh, big mo. That's really what I've done. I, when I grew up, um, and, and I want to ask you about this, if, if you've ever seen a change, if you've seen a change, but I started hunting, um, obviously when I was five years old, I started going with my dad and at 12 years old in Wisconsin, you can hunt. And so I started hunting, and back then, you know, I was born in 75, so you look at 1987, 88, 89, 90, you know, gun hunting deer in Wisconsin is like a national holiday. You'd take, you'd take the, the week off school, and everybody gun hunted. And at, at a point in Wisconsin, there'll be 600 to 700 people that enter the woods with rifles. Now, I, I have theories on why that many people, not even a close that many people, should be entering the woods with rifles because they never touched a rifle until that year or that, that week, you know, but it, growing up, you could hunt the neighbor's property. It's way different than it is here. So you, you have a 40 acre chunk here, a farmer owns that. And you know, you probably know this in the Midwest. And then, you know, this Nate, this guy's got a big chunk. He's got 300 acres of land. It's all land, land tracks, private land tracks, very, very limited public land opposite of where we live here. So Growing up, the gun hunting was like a holiday. We looked forward to it. It was amazing. Of course, I got into bow hunting very young. My first bow was a PSE as well, and it had negative let off. It was like if I was pulling 40 <laughs> pounds, it, I was holding about 70. It was so terrible. Um, but about the mid-90s, so I graduated high school in 93, and I would say 93, 94, we started to see the quality deer management signs go up. You know, And the commercialization of hunting started to get bigger. Hunting shows, there was a... TV 13 outdoors, then the sportsman's channel and all this stuff and shed hunting became popular and it got cool to shoot big animals and show them off. And all of a sudden posted signs started to go up where before, you know, you, I would hunt my grandpa's brother's 300 acres and we would hop this fence and then that fence and then that fence. And we'd be hunting four properties over and you'd bump into the landowner and you'd be high-fiving each other that you shot a little deer or squirrels or whatever it was. And all of a sudden you get to a point where you touch a line fence in the mid nineties and it, it was like all heck was breaking loose. Yeah. They wanted to fight you. It was nobody could hunt quality deer management. You're a bad person. If you, if you, uh, you know, if you shot, if you shot a small buck and so I just found it easier to bow hunt and, and stop gun hunting because nobody was really bow hunting that seriously back then. It wasn't like it is today. So all the properties that would not let you gun hunt, I could turkey hunt and I could bow hunt. So I just found it easy to do that. 
So I've always identified more as a, as a bow hunter, but I have no problem picking up a gun. So where I was going with that story was Nick was telling me the other day, he's like, just put in, you got 10 points, put in for the early Kaibab. And I usually go up there with him when he's guiding uh-huh. hunters and just kind of help out and, and learn. You know, it's just free education for me to be split wood right. and help and do whatever I can do, be a set of uh, eyes on the glass. And it's so much fun watching long range, excuse me, shooting you know, the big, behind the big binos and finding these big mule deer and they're shooting great mule deer. And so I was so tempted. I'm like, I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to put in for the early Kaibab because I can draw it. And I just want, I bought a custom rifle a couple years ago. I've never even shot anything with it. My, my son has, I haven't. And then I had Greg Krogan. Yeah. I had Greg Krogan last podcast and he's like, well, I just got to be on. I, I told him, I said, I think I'm just going to do the early Kaibab. I'm not holding out for the strip anymore. And he goes, well, I'm really going to get in your head. He goes, nah, I've been up to the strip. I think you got to hold out for the strip. So I'm so <laughs> torn. I love these big velvet mule deer bucks, and I want them so bad, but I'm so tired of waiting. And so we are so fortunate here. Have you seen that? Did you see that down here? I'm talking about Wisconsin. Did you see that here in the Southwest, that kind of that paradigm shift of the hunting? Like it was, it was open and everybody had fun, and then all of a sudden the, the competition of it. Have you seen that at all? What I have seen, not really as far as kind of like landowners and stuff like that, you know, but what I have seen is, you know, these people that have picked up a bow and have no ethics whatsoever, you know, that they, um, I mean, it's just something as simple as if you see somebody that's making a stock on an animal, you let them finish their stock, you know, you kind of hold back, kind of get out of the area. Now it's just kind of like if they see that you're making a stock, they will drive as far as they can and jump out and run after the deer just to try and get in front of them. You know, I mean, I've, I've guided hunters during the gun hunt, and we were making a stock on, on, on a buck. Nothing huge, just a nice, you know, 90-inch deer that, you know, good representative. Guys started launching from, you know, 11, 1,200 yards out weren't even coming close but they saw that we were getting that we were ahead of them and they're like ah might as well just shoot um it, it's been real bad as far as that goes but uh you know i mean as long as you uh stay in an area where there's not a lot of roads people kind of don't always get to it you know so but um there has been a big shift and and it, sometimes i really don't think it's for the better so that's why especially you know on social media the way it kind of it's kind of going if i can help somebody out if i can kind of say hey you know maybe this is the way that it should be done so that way um because i know that if i'm on a stock i would like for them to give me a chance to make my play you know so i try and afford the same opportunity to the next person you know don't get me wrong i have messed up you know a stock on an animal but i didn't see the hunter you know what i mean but it wasn't one of those things where you see the guy going in and it's, it's just a very sad situation, you know, when it comes to that. But, um, you know, that's why that's, as a matter of fact, I got at a hunt for Dwayne Adams way back when it was, uh, probably going on 15 years ago now. And, um, the reason that I got into that, I got a rifle that I, that I have clients shoot, uh, my rifle is that uh, we ended up uh, it was uh, Dwayne's client that I guided and we got within you know 
400 yards of a deer. It was a, it was a nice, really nice buck, 100 plus inch deer. He was in the middle of a tumbleweed. And with those big eyes, he was about 650, 700 yards out. And I saw, I was looking in between the tumbleweed and I saw like the, the little white line that goes, you know, between the nose and the, in the face type of thing. I'm like, white, what's white in, you know, in a tumbleweed. And I just kind of kept looking and all of a sudden he moved his head. I'm like, oh, and then I saw that it was a nice buck. I'm like, hey, we got one right here. Got within 400 yards and I'm like, hey, how are you sighted in? Or It's like, oh, well, I'm two inches high at 100 and I should be good. You know, famous last words, you know. And um, we ended up, he ended up shooting a couple feet low. Well, with that being said, you know, I mean, it's nowadays with, with, the, with these guys using long range rifles and stuff like that, you have to, you have to play that game because if not, you're going to get a lot of stuff shot out from under you, you know, with a glass, with a, with a rifles, with the capabilities. Um, it's really difficult to try and compete with, uh, with, with some of these guys, especially, you know, they just take the shot, you know, whether the hits or doesn't, doesn't matter. You're, you're, your your hunt's over for that. That stock is over. So it's really uh, one of those things where, you know, you have to keep up with the times. You have to see what other people are, you know, you have to be able to, you know, to hang with them. If not, you're going to be uh, kind of at the short end of the stick. No, I agree, man. Equipment has changed and man, it's incredible. It really is. So before we get into some shooting, I want to ask you a bunch of questions on, on uh, long range shooting and stuff like that with archery. Um, do you have a favorite story of one of the bucks that you've killed any any favorite stories of any of the bucks that you've killed that you share um i think one of my one of my favorite ones is uh is uh with my uh the velvet buck i had my daughter with me it was one of those quick hunts that we were going to go do i went to go pick her up from uh from from practice it's like um so I went and picked her up. I'm like, hey, you hungry? Yep. Oh, got to stop at Wendy's. Okay. So got her some food and we took off. And I was driving to the spot where I glass and right where we were getting there, um, you know, I started seeing within range of the, of the, uh, of the actual glassing spot where we were going to glass from. There was, you know, a few bucks and stuff like that, and a couple of mule deer, a couple of whitetails. So I'm like, hey, you know, and my daughter was there, you know, and uh, she's like, Dad, there's another one coming up. Looks like a big one. And um, oh yeah, you know, and right as she's saying it, you know, I'm seeing the deer come up, you know, and and uh, he starts kind of taking off a little bit. It's not a very long story. I ended up putting an arrow in him, you know. At a good range, I, I really don't like to talk the actual yardage just because people get kind of kind of upset over it. But um, it was a pretty decent shot, you know. And it was one of those deals where he took off at a dead run. I mean, he was just his head low. He was, you know, hauling butt as fast as he could. And I'm looking at him, and as soon as I put my binoculars up to try and keep an, an eye on him, he disappears. And I'm like, what? 
I'm like, man, I know I, you know, I know I hit him good. You know, it's like, wow. So, you know, it was during the summer. So, you know, you kind of have some mosquitoes. So my daughter and I kind of made a little track to try and find them right off the bat, but we couldn't quite find them. It wasn't a lot of blood just because of, you know, in the area that it was at, it was just kind of dense where he ran into. So it was kind of difficult to sometimes see and, and, uh, but uh, I ended up finding the deer, you know, uh, the second loop around, you know, I kind of put her in the truck because it was getting kind of late and I didn't want the mosquitoes tearing her up. And to this day, she will not let me live it down that she's the one that saw that buck first. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I really enjoy, I really enjoyed that buck. I mean, it was a big buck. Uh, but more than that, it was just uh, an experience that I shared with my daughter, you know, and, and now she's picked up the, the hunting bug and she killed a deer last year with a rifle and she's killed a couple of javelina and, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I told her, I said, Hey, whatever you do, got to come hunt with dad at least once a year, you know, no matter what happens, that's, you got to come back and got to hunt with me for, so we'll see how long that lasts, you know, because you know, three years ago, she was, she was half the size she is now. She just, you know, grew like a weed and, and, uh, just trying to enjoy it as much as possible right now. Yeah. I got kids and I, I can, I can totally relate to that. Um, you know, growing up, like I said, said it was, I had so, it was so special the way I grew up because my dad got me in the outdoors, both my brother and I, and we just, we spent every weekend in the outdoors during hunting season with my dad. You know, he was our hero growing up and, and uh, he's still alive. Obviously, I just don't get to hunt with him because I'm in Arizona. And I just don't have that. We don't have that opportunity like we did in Wisconsin because you could literally drive 15 minutes and you're in your, your hunting woods and everybody did it. And I, I told my wife, I think I was telling my wife this. I'm like, man, I just, or I was telling Nick, actually, I said, I'm going to get, I don't care if it's a high quality hunt or if it's a low quality hunt. I'm putting my boys in for it. And, and I know there's some units we can just draw, you know, with no points as a resident and they can hunt deer with a, with a rifle down South. And I said, we're just going to create a camp and create that bond growing up because it's something to look forward to, to, you know, I, I shot, I, I was lucky enough to draw that Gould's Turkey tag, uh, dumb, uh, between Tucson. Yeah. It was a great. Yeah. And they came with me and they were in the blind with me. And I, of course I'm into archery. So I, my oldest boy had a bow already. My youngest didn't cause he just, he outgrew the little one he had. And so they got to watch me shoot it and Nick's boys and Nick and his boys came down and camped with us after I shot it. And we spent a couple of days at the campground and his boys were shooting these little bows. And so my, you know, my boys were shooting them. We got home and I was just getting ready to set my new one up and I hadn't had time to set it up to hunt with it. So I was hunting with my last year's bow and my, my oldest boy, he's 15. He said, well, what are you going to do with, with that bow? Like your realm. And I'm like, I don't know, sell it or something. He's like, well, I'll take it. And I'm like, if you'll shoot it. He's been shooting a lot. You know, we went camping last weekend scouting for his cow elk tag, and we brought their bows, and he shot that. And so he's got a, uh, he had a Hoyt that he passed down to his younger brother. And so they've been shooting. So just that getting them out, there's nothing like it, you know, getting out in the outdoors, unplug and, and just have fun and let them be boys or young girls and, and do that stuff. So I can see how that's a, a cherished memory for sure. Yeah, you know, and and that's the whole thing, you know, I mean, it's like, I try and include her as much as possible, because if you don't do it right now, later on, definitely, it seems like, especially with, 
with a girl, it kind of seems like they'll, they'll have other interests and want to do other things. And, you know, I just really want to instill that in her. I never really push it on her. If she wants to do it, we'll go do it, you know, but uh, luckily she's always, I mean, I've got pictures of her where, where my dad killed a deer with a muzzle loader, and she is, she can't even walk. And she has the biggest grin because she's grabbing the deer and stuff like that. It's like, ah, how can you beat that? You know? <laughs> well, and like you said, they're growing so fast, man, sooner or later, they're not in our house anymore. And then we'll do yeah. anything to have that time back with them. That's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. Well, enjoy all those moments. So from a shooting standpoint, here's what impresses me the most um, is I know you're a great shot because, you know, when you're dialing new bows in, you'll post some of the pictures and, and the distances that you're shooting on targets. But as you know, and other archers know, there is a complete difference between being able to shoot a target and then consistently do that on, on live animals because it, it's just not the same standing there. Oh, everything's in my favor, no stress, you know, and I'm dialed in. I'm, I don't I just have a t-shirt on, you know, and shooting. So not only are you dialed in on long range shooting, which I think being the best long range shooter makes you a, a incredible close range killer. Um, right. You're so dialed in there, but again, just to talk about eight years in a row, you know, the distances you're able to shoot these deer at. And of course, I don't, I, don't I, I get the whole distance thing. People don't understand it. It's we're in the West. If you tell somebody you shoot a bucket 80 yards and you tell that to the Midwest, they'll almost freak out. Like you can't shoot 80 yards. Well, sometimes that's as close as you're going to get out here. I mean, it just may be it, but you've been dialed in, not just on targets and you're super dialed in there, but you're dialed in on game. And that's just a whole nother game, a whole nother world. So you mind just going back and tell me when that, where that, came in are you a perfectionist are you just how, how, how you're, you're long-range shooting where uh, you know talk about that a little bit you know well when i first started hunting with a bow you know it's like you said you know it just kind of kind of seemed like the animals they always knew what my max distance was and they're always like 10 yards outside of that <laughs> so it's one of those things where you know you, you kind of see what you need to do in order to be successful and you're like well what do I have to do to get there? And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that, you know, you got, you have these people that are target archers and they can hit small dots at a pretty long ways off. So I've implemented, you know, some of their tuning practices, some of their gear, some of their uh, ideas and kind of used it towards my, the way that I hunt, you know, I mean, a lot of times people will tell you, will say, hey, you know, I want my bow as light as possible because I want to carry, you know, that way I can carry it around all day. Well, my idea is, is that if your bow does its job, you might not have to walk around that much with it, you know. So it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, for me, I, 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 the number one reason that I have the bow is for it to shoot. So I make it to where it shoots the best. Well, if it's heavy, oh, well, you know, I mean, trust me, I got a few pounds that I can lose that will make up the difference, you know? I mean, there's just certain things that, that you can't compromise, you know? I mean, I, 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 for example, not that I want to go back to the optics, but, you know, as an example is that I was hunting blacktails, you know, and it was a backpack hunt. And so I took the big eyes apart. And I said, okay, we'll have, you know, the tens and I'll have the spotting scope. Man, 
I just could not glass anything up. I was so used to having the big eyes that, you know what? I don't care if I got to carry an extra three pounds because I got to carry the whole thing. I'm going to carry it the next time. And when I went up to Colorado, that's what I did. It's like I was up at 12, 13,000 feet, but in my backpack were my big eyes, you know, because they're there to do a job. And, you know, if you become less effective because you don't want to carry an extra three pounds, for me, that's like, well, that means that you're not going to carry those three pounds for a lot longer than if you did carry those three pounds, that it would create opportunities for you. You know what I mean? So that's kind of one of the reasons that I implement, you know, certain things about target archery because it makes me hold the best. It makes me shoot the best. Um, you know, we were talking about arrows and stuff like that. I mean, I, I shoot what I want to shoot because I think those are the best because there's also that placebo effect, but when you see it in, when you do your testing and you see that, um, there was, yeah, I was shooting just for an example, I was shooting brand X. Um, people think that all arrows are created equal that, you know, if it's carbon, it's either straight or it's broke. That isn't the case. I found that out the hard way. Um, you know, it's like I had my, my arrows numbered. And depending on which way I shot, whether it was ascending or descending, the group size would either expand or shrink. And I'm like, well, how is that? And I was aiming at the exact same spot. You know what I mean? So what would happen was, but I was like, I'd shoot an arrow and then I'd shoot at that arrow and I'd shoot you know, just keep on grouping. So there was one arrow that was kind of out of whack. That was the one that I would shoot first and then the other ones would follow suit. But if that one was one of the last ones that I shot, then all of a sudden the group size expanded. So that kind of got me to thinking and I spun the arrows and one of them just kind of flew off the, the, the arrow spin. I'm like, man, this can't be good. And that's when I started looking for it. You know, that's when I started saying, hey, well, you know what? Arrows do make a difference, you know? And I wasn't shooting that far. So it's been a lot of trial and error. It's been a lot of, um, of uh, a lot of long day shooting, you know, see what works, see what doesn't work. Um, I know that, you know, my wife used to get on me because I'd spend days just shooting arrows, shooting arrows, shooting arrows, and and just, seeing what exactly will work and what won't work, you know, and, and uh, been doing this for probably going on 20 years already. And it just, there's, there's certain things that you look for and certain things that you, um, you know, for example, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about arrows. Um, for me, you know, not only do you have to have the best, but there's also a process in building them. You know, I mean, uh, Tim Gillingham, he's got a, he's got a whole series on, you know, how to set up arrows, how to set up bows and stuff like that. Uh, but you know, I take the straightest part of the arrow. I spin all of them. I see what the straightest part is. So my labels don't match up, you know, and you know, a lot of people say that, you know, it's like, Oh, well, you know, take it to your pro shop. There's nothing against pro shops. I, I really, I think, you know, there's some really great pro shops, but at the end of the day, um, they can only do so much for you. You know what I mean? 
because that's such a personal thing that bow the way it fits you the way there's just certain things that that you're gonna like the way it feels and um it's really difficult for them and it's for, for them to be able to say there's there's certain guidelines that they can follow and, and it's going to get you in the ballpark and it's going to you know you'll be good but you know if you really want to stretch the distance there's a lot that goes into the way it feels the way it holds um i mean something as simple as like for example how i set up my target to shoot at long range you know um lately i'll have a, a strip of two inch black tape go across and then I have two inches without the tape and then another two inches below that. And what that does for me is that at long range, when you're looking at the, at the target, it just looks like one big black line and it fits my pin very well. But once I see that it hits inside the two inches that doesn't have the strip, I know that I'm, I'm dialed in. You know what I mean? If I have to shoot closer, I can just pick either one or the other. So it, it, it's just as much about tuning your mind as it is tuning the bow, as it is having good arrows, as it is. It, it, there's a lot of things that need to mesh for it to be, uh, for it to perform the, at peak, you know? And uh, as, as you found out, you know, I mean, the mind, you know, got certain things like target panic and, and, and uh, eyesight and, you know, all kinds of things that can, play a factor in how effective you are so it's just a constant you're just i'm just constantly trying to improve you know i'm seeing i see wherever my shortcomings are and i try and improve on them that's that's the only way to you know just try and be better than i was before and try not to forget what i've learned <laughs> and you know kind of stick to the basics and try not to get too wrapped up in in uh there was a time a while back that, like, I thought, man, you know what? I know what I'm doing. And as soon as I thought that, you know, reality comes in and slaps you upside the face. And it's like, well, you know what? I got to get back to, to the basics and go back to my fundamentals. And, and that's what's important, you know? So it's, like I said, I mean, I just try not to take things for granted and, and, uh, try and have uh, the best equipment that I can, have it tuned to the best of my ability and try and uh, have it honed. So at that moment of truth, you know, you're not worried about um, whether it's going to be, you know, you're not saying to yourself, man, I hope it hits. You're more along the lines of like, oh man, you're screwed. <laughs> Yeah, you want you know? that confidence that you release the arrow and you know that's a dead animal. But you said you said so many good things there. Um, the weight factor, and before I get there, um, I think just becoming a student of what you want to do. You know, like you said, you can go to a pro shop and it's great. I took my bow to a pro shop one time, and I, I usually buy my bows from a friend of mine back in Wisconsin. He's he's somebody I really trust, and I, I just I got trust in him. You know, and, mm -hmm. and it's, it's a shop I used to work at. So, of course, I want to support that. And I want to, if I'm buying other things, I buy it from my local pro shop here. Um, right, right. But, I, you know, because I want to support them all. I want to support my pro shops. Um, but he sent it out. And, of course, it was, he, it's, it was paper tuned, but I have to paper tune it myself. I can't exactly. rely it on, you know. And I took it to a pro shop, and the guy just grabbed I said, hey, I want to paper tune this. He grabs it, shoots it, gives it back, goes, perfect bullet hole. I'm like, yeah, but I, I, 
I, so I said, I'm not even going to argue. I went and I bought all the PVC and some paper tuning paper and I built my own paper tuner. Um, and so just becoming a student of there's, there's so many YouTube channels, like you said, Tim Gillingham building arrows, um, just watched a really good one, uh, with, I forget his, I'll draw a blank guy's name, a world champion shooter. He was talking about balance and weight and so much good stuff out there that, yeah, yeah. That you can just become a student of understanding. You don't need to know all the metrics and all that kind of stuff, but you start to learn how to spin an arrow take the wobble out of that arrow yet still be able to use the arrow. So you're saying like your labels don't match up, but wait, wait is a good one. I'm going to show you what I got here. So I just, I just put this together um, last night and I just got everything in and you know, I, I'm throwing this back bar off it. Okay. And this thing's yeah. a tank. It, it weighs a lot. And that was the first thing in my mind. And it's always been in my mind. Uh, Miguel is I'm like, man, this thing's going to be so heavy, but if it's heavy when I'm shooting it and it's balanced front and back, side to side, and that thing is what I what I learned was if I'm too heavy in the front, I'd go through my natural, you know, my, my pin was just a natural progression. One of the things I learned was I'm never going to hold my pin like dead solid. Dead, yeah. You know, I, I heard a guy, one of the champion shooters said, your pin is going to float and it's okay as you go through your squeeze off that it floats through there. And I'm like, that was a huge tip for me to, to learn that. Um, but I, I started to find myself, it would float a little bit. And then as I'm going through my float, if I wasn't quite squeezed off, it would drop. And what I realized was I got too much weight on the front. It's not balanced in the back. And it was a, it was a tip I saw in a video. So I put this back bar on there. I haven't shot this yet. This, this whole weekend will get, I'm going to sight it in for all my pins. But it's heavy. But I thought to myself that, just what you said, it is heavy, but if I'm too weak to carry it, then then I need to work on my fitness. I need I'll strap it to my backpack and get to where I'm going to glass. But the last thing I want is to pull my bow up when I'm not dialed in in my mind because my adrenaline's high and I'm not going. You know, it's just now on muscle memory and I've lost all my fine motor skills. That thing's got to be there. It's got to stay there. Yeah, exactly. You know, the thing is, is that when you're when you have everything dialed in. It should just be, you should just be concentrating on where you want to hit. You know, I mean, that's, that's something else that, that, you know, a lot of people are, they kind of focus on like, they're still looking at the antlers and stuff. Once you decide that that's the animal you want to take, now you got to get that out of your head and start concentrating on what you need to do next. You need to go through your shot process. You need to um, just think about, okay, you know, talk to yourself, you know, you got to aim, aim, aim. And let that be a surprise release, you know. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, um, you really have to be able to say, put all the BS aside. Now you got to get at the task at hand, which is getting the arrow into the air, into the animal. And that's one of the things that uh, I've really had to work on because it's, dude, it's tough, man. You get all jacked up. I mean, it's like, it still happens to me, you know. You, the adrenaline starts rushing and, you know, it's like, man, I got to shoot now because the animal's going to take off. And, you know, you start thinking all kinds of stuff. Well, one thing that I learned was that the more, you, you know, you know, like sometimes people want to get in really close. And uh, I'm not a big fan of that. It just seems like things get really complicated. Things get in your head that, you know, oh, you're so close. You're going to bump the animal. This is going to be all bad. So you rush a shot. Some of the worst shots that I've made on animals have been really, really close shots. And um, so 
that's why if you take a, you know, if you can kind of get at the, at the uh, max end of your shooting maximum effective range, and it really is imperative to say, you know, you have to be honest with yourself of what your maximum range is. You know what I mean? It, it, it can't be like, oh, well, I hit something at this distance one day and okay, I'm set. No, you, you, you have to have that confidence that when you're going to let that arrow go, you're going to know that you're going to hit. You know what I mean? The best shots that I've made, it's like, I know like when I shot that mule deer, um, that 180 inch mule deer, the only thought in my head was like, man, you are screwed. He was there raking, you know, a tree, like, man, you are screwed. And that's a PG version of what I said, but boom, drilled them. And um, a lot of times it's like, you just have that confidence because you've done it so many times that that's why, you know, we go through this whole process of, of getting, you know, the, the equipment together, you know? Um, it's for me, it's been, uh, you know, I switched over to Matthews and, you know, they make some great hunting bows. I didn't get a hunting bow. I got a target bow, TRX 36. Uh, it's, you know, I was able to, when I got it, it's the string angle was awesome. The way it fit me was awesome. It was a way that, you know, the older bows used to fit, you know, this craze about going short, you know, I mean, I, I understand why they're doing that and bows shoot phenomenal, but just the geometry for me, it just fits me better. I've just, you know, I'm old school, man. I mean, it's like, uh, it was like just putting on a, you know, freaking glove that was just perfect. So, I mean, let me, I'll, let me just switch over and I'll show you what I got. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see here. You know, can you see that? You know, TRX 36. Yep, I can see it. Let's see here. So you run a pretty good, you run a pretty good back bar. Yeah. And you know, I got about 12 ounces on the back. Wow. And then I have about uh, six ounces on the front. And that's just kind of what, you know, I, I used to run a little bit more on when I was shooting Hoyt. Um, it's just been a, a pretty good setup so far. You know I mean? It's I shoot a spot hog sight that, um, are you a single pin guy? Single pin spot hogger? You got I'm a single pin. You're a single pin guy. Okay. Yeah. And you know, it just kind of been one of those things where it just seems like it's uh it's been a lot better as far as uh target acquisition yeah. accuracy goals. For me, it's just helped me out. Um there's for me it's just all about accuracy. Being able if I can't get the shot off then it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah. You know? Well, with that single so, pin, with, with your shooting ability, here's, so I have an option, the option site, and you know, it's got the flip open, you know, you yes. know what I'm talking about, right? So you got you know, all your fixed pins, and I've always shot seven pins, and there's a challenge in there. Um, you know, pin confusion and counting pins, and again, I'm colorblind, so I have to specifically order the pin with all yellow pins, or the site with all yellow pins, every site I have. And so I paint my 50-yard pin with whiteout, the, just the bracket. And so there's the yellow dot and then the bracket. So I can always acquire my target. If it's 60 yards, I just go to my 50, then one down. I mean, I've been doing it for years, so I understand it. But on this site, you can also flip it open, and I have a single-pin slider. And I'll tell you that 
I have really fallen in love with a single pin slider. To get all those other pins out of the way, something up here between my ears, the clearing all that out is, is, is cleared out the confusion, even though I know the pin I'm supposed to be on. And when, I, I think when you can shoot a little bit further and you don't, I don't have to get into 40 yards, if I can shoot that animal at 65 yards and I'm just outside, you know, I can stay out of that, that alert zone of that animal a little bit, Here's what my friend said to me. He goes, he went to, from a multiple pin to a two pin. I think he had a black gold and it's got you know, two pins and he can adjust it to whatever he wants. He said, JP, if I have to rush the shot, I shouldn't take the shot. And if I practice good enough and my stalking is good enough, I should have time to range the animal and shoot the animal and dial it. He goes, it's the challenge when people say multiple pins you need is because people are bumping animals and then they got to rush a shot and, and, and you know, don't have time to range it and all that. So I, I get it. So I've really started to love the single pin and I've been against a single pin forever because I just started hunting with multiple pins and I'm always like, man, multiple pins is the only way to go when you're hunting because you jump him at 30 and he goes out to 50. I can't hold on range and then adjust, but... Yeah, like when you say, you know, if, if I can, if I can keep my range out a little bit further and, and I'm not saying I'm not advocating just shooting out beyond my range, but knowing what my range is and, and moving into that area and I can shoot hundred percent effectively at that range, I'm out of their, you know, alert zone a little bit more and I'm not worried about spooking an animal. I got time to range it, slide it, kill it. That's been what I found. And, and most of the times people run a five pin. So, you know, you're, you're running at, 60 yards right 20 through 60 usually and most of my shots you know have been past the 60 yard mark anyway so i'd still have to dial anyways so i mean it's it's one of those things where um i get rid of the clutter and you know there's also like if you're just running a single pin uh there's a uh if you google a trick pin it's on rock slide um it was uh, an article, and it and it talks to you about being able to use, um, you know, aiming 12 inches low and being able to hit, you know, uh, a pretty good chunk of distance, like if you're hunting elk or something like that. So there's ways to manipulate the sight. So if if you are in close, you can kind of, you don't have to be dialing per se at close range. You you know, for elk, you aim at the brisket and boom, you shoot. There is some setup. There is some some uh, limiting factors as far as that system goes, but it's a way to be able to. If you got to get a shot off quick, like if you're hunting elk or whatever, you know, I mean, sometimes you're in the pines or you know, it's 20, 30 yard shot. You know, it's like just you just aim at a certain spot and then boom, you're you're it's it's off. So there's ways to get around it also, you know, it's not just something where you have to dial every single yard that you shoot, you know? Right. And at the end of the day, it's all about spending time with your equipment, shooting, knowing where, knowing where everything's hitting. So what, what's your practice session look like? How did you, I always took, and this could be completely wrong. Um, so give me your advice on this, but I was just always doing a step back approach when I was, when I'm getting, like, I'm not shooting long range at the moment. My, my, uh, my yard changed. I was able to shoot out to 90 yards in my yard all the time. Now I'm down to 25 yards because we moved to a different place. So I'll be going to the, I'll be doing weekends um, at a long distance range. So I'll shoot leading up to all our hunts, you know, I'll, I'll shoot long range all the time, but I would always do a step back approach. I would, I mean, let, let's just use a number of 50 yards. Let's say 50 yards was my max. Mm -hmm. I would just shoot 50 till I could really just keep, it felt like the longer I shot it, the, the more I would tighten it. 
So when I was at tight enough where I felt good, then I would just step back and I would shoot 40, 50, and then 60. And 60 might be big, you know, softball size until I could just pack it down. Then I would step back. And not, not all in one day. I mean, that took, you know, that was over time. But what do you do to get to shoot the way that you do? Do you have any kind of um, system or anything or is just drop back and let them fly? I think when, when, like, you really have to break down your shot. You know what I mean? It's not just a question of going out there and flinging arrows. You have to go out there with a purpose. You know what I mean? If you're going to, you know, I, for example, if you're tuning, that's what you're going to do. You're going to tune. If, if, um, but it's a certain aspect of the tuning type of thing. I don't try and tune my bow. You know, it's, it's kind of like an average of days type of thing. You know what I mean? It, it, it's not something where if one day I'm good, okay, it's good. I check it over multiple days. Just like when I sight in, I sight in over multiple days. Um, I make sure that, that everything is good because not every day is a good day shooting. You know what I mean? It's, there's uh, some days that, man, it's just time to put the bow away and come back another day. And there's other days like, man, you just can't miss. So you kind of have to get an average. So that way, no matter what happens, um, it's consistent type of thing, you know. But for me, like if if I'm uh, if I'm shooting, uh, like for example, let's say I'm done tuning my bow. Like right now, I'm basically sighting in, and I've because I have a single pin, I usually do a sight tape type of thing, and I'll shoot uh, 30, 60, 90, and 120, just so I can get everything dialed in. So, you know, the last week I kind of shot three days where I was kind of getting everything dialed in. And then, you know, that last day, it seemed like everything was good. So I didn't shoot the whole week. And I went back out uh, today, this morning, and I stepped at 120 yards and let an arrow fly. And I checked my distances from far to near. I don't do near to far. And the reason is, is that for me, you know, you, you hit it fresh, you know, you don't want to shoot those longer distances when you're tired. So you kind of, um, I like to shoot the further distances first. Obviously when you're first sighting in, you're going to do close to far because you don't want to be missing, you know, ruining arrows. But once, you know, you kind of have an idea of where everything is at, you know, I usually start from far and then work my way in because the closer distances aren't as critical as the further ones, you know what I mean? And um, I try and slide in one axis, you know, the, the vertical first uh, and, you know, the, the up and the down, try and get that, you know, dialed in. And then I'll flip the target around and I'll check my, my left and right, at, you know, let's say at 90 yards. So that way I know that they're hitting just right. Um, but once all that is said and done, once you know that, uh, that your marks are good and golden and, you know, I just try and stick to the further distances, you know, because that's what really, really perfects your form. And then um, I try and move to 3D targets. And a lot of times, you know, it's like you have to, you know, because all of a sudden now you're hitting high. You're dead nuts when you were shooting at, you know, when I was shooting at the tape and everything else. But you start shooting an animal, so all of a sudden now you're shooting high. Well, why is that? You know, how am I looking at the animal? It's like, it's, 
it's all about dialing in how you see things. So it's, it's, it's a constant work in progress. You know I mean? It's to be honest with you, I don't even put a sight tape on the bow till probably five days before I hunt. Sometimes there's been times where I put it in the day before I hunt, you know, but everything is dialed in. And because I have a, you know, uh, uh, the hog father, it's actually has clicks. So You know, once I put the side, it clicks. Boom! Now it's dialed, dialed in, perfect. Wow, man! So, I hope I hope people are gathering all this info because I'm eating this up. I mean, I'm I do so much of what you're you're talking about. I don't do the tape space tape. I've always done the tape though, but I'm going to add that in now because that for my vision, my left eye. I shoot both eyes open. And my vision, my left eye is really, really bad. I got a condition in my eyes and my right eye is good, which is my shooting eye, but my left eye is bad. But if I close an eye, it tenses my body a little bit. It may sound weird, but it's just, it's muscle tension I don't need. So I always keep it open, but it makes a little bit of blurriness. And so the what I, way I see that target's a little bit blurry. So I think that tape, space tape is going to make a difference, uh, especially at that longer distance, because I get past 50, 60, and that's where that blur really, you know, really starts to, right, really starts to affect me. Um, there was something else you said in there too, but I'm so glad you said this, Big Mo, that some days you have bad days, because in the world of social media, you would think nobody ever has a bad day when it comes to shooting. And some days, and, and I don't want a newer shooter to be, tricked and maybe not just a newer shooter either but somebody who's been around a little while and and you know maybe doesn't have somebody that they can go to and ask questions to and they're just trying to figure it on their own and they go out and they have a bad day and they think oh I'm just I'm just never going to be that good cuz I've battled with that before like I shoot all the time uh, we moved into a new house so um now that this bow is here I'll shoot every single day but at our last house up until 3 weeks ago I shoot every single day every, unless I'm traveling I shoot every single day of the year some days I go out and I'm just I'm awful now I'm not awful like I'm missing the target but I'm like gosh I've been shooting since I've been 12 years old I ought to, I should never miss but there's days I'm just I'm not good so I'm glad you say that because you're you're an exceptional shot and to admit that you know, brings it down to every, anybody can understand that. Some days you're on, some days you're just not on. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And like I said, I mean, it's it's one of those things where where it's just a constant work in progress. You know what I mean? The, the, the whole thing is, is that for me, usually the first shot is what matters. So that's why I really try. And, I mean, there's days that I just go out there and I just shoot one arrow. I get out back to my furthest distance and I launch an arrow at a 3D target and see where it hits. And if it doesn't hit good, it eats at me for the rest of the day because I'm not going to shoot that bow again until the next day. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like it's, 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 uh, it's a way to kind of put a little bit of extra pressure on yourself and kind of let you see what, what actually is going to happen come, you know, when an animal steps out in front. So it's, it's breaking down the different things into steps so that way you can work on each individual thing so that whatever you think is a weakness now at least it's not a weakness anymore type of thing you know yeah but you have to be very self-critical uh i i i am like i said i mean most of the times i don't remember my triumphs i remember more of my misses more of my failed stocks more of you know the things that i screwed up you know i mean 
And there's times where it's like, man, I knew it. I knew I shouldn't have done that. And I did it anyways. It's like, just want to hit yourself upside the head type of thing. That's why you're so, good. That's why you're good at it though. Cause you're so self-critical. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it's like every year people are like, well, you know, oh, you're going to kill another big buck. It's like, man, I, I wish I had your confidence, you know, because it's every year it's just, it's like, am I going to be able to pull it off again? Am I going to see a good deer? You know, it's like, what happens if you just don't see anything? You know, I mean, it's, it's rough sometimes. So you just, I try and keep everything to where if I have at least one opportunity, I have a good chance of making good on it. And that's for me is what's why I work so, so much at it type of thing you know oh yeah uh, that was the, it just jogged my memory i wrote it down uh, spot tart spot shooting versus 3d um i got fooled so i'm glad you said that as well that you shoot spots you dial it in get everything um i don't ever really put i i'll what i've learned with sight tape and i'm kind of uh off on a tangent here you know the, the site will send you some sight tape um and i've i just haven't the one i got they sent me the sight tape and I've had two of these sites now and I couldn't get any of the sight tape to match up. It just, it, it is what it is. I, I think they're close, but it wasn't good enough for me. I mean, I don't want the top of my slider pin to be at the bottom of the 30 yard mark. I want it dead center because that's how critical I am about it. And so I'm, I do the exact same thing that you do. I just have like, I'll rip this sight tape off cause I'll start shooting. I'm gonna shoot tonight a little bit, just, just out my yard a little bit. Um, just for balance, but I'll put a blank piece of tape on it and I'll just, I'll put a, a one inch piece of electrical tape. That's what I start at when I'm close till I'm drilling that thing every single time at 20, you know, up and down. And then I just, I make that mark, but I never make a mark until 10 out of 10, I'm hitting it at 20 yards on the one inch tape. And then I'll do it at 30 yards. Then I'll make a mark. And I do that. And I don't ever try to find a sight tape until I've shot that way for about a month. And I know I, it just wasn't a good day or I was maybe not anchored in the exact right spot or whatever till I'm really used to the bow. And then I have bought here. This, you'll find this funny. So I have an option site. I'm not sponsored by anybody. And so I don't have to worry about any products. I talk about anything like that. That's the way I love it. You know, I just love archery and I love products. Um, so I buy the option site because I like that technology, but I bought spot hog. I went to Amazon. I bought spot hog site tape and for $12, they sent me all their site tape and I was taking my marks and I'm looking at all the options. Couldn't get any of them, went through all the spot hog. And finally I found one that matched up to a T. I even had a, a bow shop that was made me some custom and it still didn't match up. I still couldn't get them to match up. So I made my, I found my own. Um, but what happened to me was. I was shooting at 3D targets all the time. I have a big Glendale, Glendale full rut. Well, it's a huge target. So the kill zone, you know, 12 by 12 on this big insert. Well, you can fool yourself to think, hey, I mean, I'm just drilling this thing. I'm always in the kill zone. And maybe at 60, 70, 80 yards, my arrows are spread out a little bit, but I'm killing it every time. And so I was doing that. And I just kept, I was just, I didn't want to shoot. You know, I thought my bow was sighted in. So I'm just whacking this target over and over and I'm drilling it at 80 and my bow tops out at 86 based on my sight. So I'm killing it at every single time. And I'm, I'm super excited. And all of a sudden I'm getting ready to go hunting. And I wanted to just, I pulled my target out of the way because it was going to rain. And I had my, my big block target, my four by four block. And I had that little piece of tape and I was high every single time on that tape. And I'm like, that's just not right. And I got my sight tape on now. What I fooled myself to think was just because I was killing that deer, 
and I was in the kill zone, I wasn't shooting at a spot on that kill zone. You know, my vision didn't allow me at that distance to find a little spot. But now that I'm honed back in on that little piece of tape, I realized I was high. So I had to go back to the drawing board. So I think it's great what you said. You know, go to start there, go to 3Ds. You can come back there and fine tune it again. It's just, it's a never ending process of having fun. Once once I'm dialed in, once I know that everything is drilling perfect, that's when I start shooting at uh, some form of a 3D. Whether it be, you know, they got those uh, uh, solo skin targets, something like that. It's basically like a, you know, those things are awesome. Just you're able to shoot at something that's as lifelike as possible. Um, but the thing is, is that sometimes the way you hold on a target, whether it's a tape, whether it's a bullseye, um, it doesn't mean that that it's going to be now you have to adjust the way you hold on the animal and that's what's important. You know, you're not at that point. I'm not looking to side in my bow. I'm looking to see how I need to hold in order to hit where I want to hit type of thing. You know what I mean? So that's how it's, that's what I've learned that kind of helps me out as far as shooting at game. Um, I used to shoot a lot of three D's um, and the way that they're set up, it's not always the best, you know, if you look at the at a 3D target with the scoring rings, a 12 is a center of the center of the middle uh, section. And that's a little bit high when you're shooting at animals. You know what I mean? You, you got to, you know, I want to shoot at the bottom third. So at, at one point I decided, well, you know, am I going to be a 3D shooter? Am I going to be a hunter? And I stopped shooting those 3Ds. And the only 3D targets that I would shoot at would have actual kill zones, not you know, scoring rings type of thing, you know? So it's just about, you have to make a decision of what you're going to be, what you're going to do. You know, if you think you want to follow and shoot uh, 3D courses and that's what you like to do, then, hey, okay, I've at it. But, uh, you know, you got to keep in mind that when you do go hunt, it's not always the best practice, you know? Um, Like I said, I mean, some of those groups that I shoot, you know, for me, it doesn't matter what I do throughout the practice session. For me, it's the first group that I shoot. That's the one that matters because that's the one that I shoot cold. That's, that's the one that's got to be reality. You know, once you're warmed up, well, yeah, you're going to shoot good because, you know, you're already all loosened up and everything is good. But, you know, like I hadn't shot my bow from last week. I didn't go till this, this morning. And okay, I'm still sighted in. So that tells me that I got my bow set up correctly, that, that uh, you know, I, that builds confidence in me that, that saying, that, hey, even if I put my bow down for a week, it's still going to be where I need it to be, you know? And there's so many things that you got to look at also. I mean, for example, you know, it's like I took off the grip. You know, the way you connect to the bow, the way, you, you know, you grab that bow, you know, the way you hold the bow is critical. So it's like, you know, you got to have something that's repeatable. You got to have something that's, that's uh, forgiving. You know, I mean, if, if you look at, at bows in general, you grab any bow. It doesn't matter how it's tuned. If you put it in a shooting machine and you grab one arrow, it will put the same arrow in the same hole at 20 yards. It doesn't matter how it's set up. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that there's, 
there's ways to make it which when you tune a bow you're actually gaining forgiveness not accuracy you know that's one of the things that you know i tell a lot of people it's like bows are accurate you know it doesn't matter what you how they're set up they're accurate but you have to make them forgiving and and the tuning process is to make the bow uh so that it's forgiving for you you know because not everybody shoots the same you know i mean it's 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 very difficult to to tune a bow for somebody i mean whenever i tune, tune bows for for people you know the very last step is they come in and they shoot the bow because it doesn't matter what i do with it it's what they do with it you know so that's that's something that's very critical it's funny you say that because you know i posted on social media this bow that i got people asked us so how's it shooting i'm like well bow's gonna shoot amazing that's not a problem. They're built to shoot. It's me that you should be asking, how am I going to shoot it? You know, how am I going to shoot that bow? But I got two more questions for you. And then all this talk has got me whining. I'm looking at it and I'm like, I got to get out and shoot. I got to shoot this bow. So <laughs> what's your shot process as you're, as you're getting ready for an animal? Do you, everybody's got their own shot process. Like, you know, I draw anchor level bubble and then, then folk, everybody's got their own shot process. What do you, what do you go through when you're getting ready to shoot? It's a pretty generic process, you know, I mean, you know, it's like the main thing that I really look at is make sure that my peep side and my housing are lined up. But, you know, I do anchor. I do. Um, the whole thing is, is that, you know, because I the way they set up the bow, it doesn't there's not a lot of intricacies as far as the shot process goes. But one of the things that I really do look at is the way the bubble housing, the, the bubble, that it's level and that the that the peep lines up with the uh, housing. And, you know, I just try and tell myself, hey, just aim, aim, aim. That's the biggest thing. It's just trying to get that surprise shot, you know. So I've had my bouts with, uh, with the T word. The T know? word. <laughs> That's where yeah. that T swear word. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, you work through it. You know, you, you keep, you know, like, like you, I, I shoot a hinge and stuff like that. And, and um I still use an index finger when I hunt, but most of the time I, I found a, a hinge that works with my index finger that, that that hits the same spot so I can switch either or and not have too much of an issue. But um, it, it really is the shot process. It's just about getting that surprise release, you know, and making sure that you shoot the bow the same way. Um, some people, it might be a little bit different, um, but everything kind of comes to the head with kind of the same mentality you know you've got to line things up i like and i say this all the time and and uh i see people that just pick their bow up and obviously someone who's just really geared into bow hunting shoots all the time but people will ask all the time like why do you shoot all the time i mean i can i I just pick my bow up i don't have to shoot i pick my bow up and boom i draw back i hit 40 yards i'm like there's a difference when you just pick your bow up i mean at any given time i can pick my bow up i don't have to shoot it all year i can go pick it up drill a target I mean, just, they're almost like shooting rifles. You know, they're, they're very accurate with all the anchor points and peep sights and everything. But the reason is because when you draw back on an animal, case in point, my last time I just shot was a turkey. I didn't even get that excited over, I mean, I was excited. Of course, my adrenaline always gets going, but I shot and I didn't hit exactly where I wanted, killed the turkey. But you know what I thought in my mind? Did I level my bubble? Did I settle in where I'm supposed to settle in? It's muscle memory. 
when you shoot over and over and over and over, and then you have a bull elk at 30 yards screaming at you and your hair's back, and it's the first bull you've ever shot at, if this is the first couple times you've been picking your bow up and only shot you know, 40 shots before you do it, your muscle memory's not there to do exactly what you're doing every single time. And here's, here's a story that I always back it up with. So if you're an archery shooter, shoot all the time, please. You know, just, but I was telling somebody that story, and they were telling me a story of a police officer. Now, you're in the military, so you, you shot a lot, and you shoot guns a lot, and you, you're obviously an incredible archery shot. He said um, what they trained, the way that they used to train was they would train, and when they'd empty a mag, you know, they'd pull the mag out, and it would go in the belt. It, not back into the mag pouch, but it would go into the belt and they would load another mag back up on their pistol. And they, the police officer was in a shooting. Um, and so they started talking to him and they said, well, you know, Mr. Officer, whatever, you fired off you know, the, the whole magazine. And he's like, I don't even remember shooting. But what he remembered was after it was all over and he got done, guess what he had? He had an empty magazine in his belt pouch, stuck down on his belt. His muscle memory was boom, 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 boom. Empty the mag, put another one in. Empty the mag, but keep it on yourself. Put another one in. Never remembered it, and it's case in point of muscle memory. When we're drawn yes. back to shoot an animal, and you know, it's high anxiety, you lose all your fine motor skills, you're naturally going to do what you always do. You'll fall right back in the same spot. You'll check your bubble, and then you'll find whatever your shot process is. But if you don't do it all the time, it's just never going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So do you, um, you had messaged me. I, I put something on Instagram. This is the last thing, and I'll let you get on with your day. Big Mo, you've been awesome. Um, I put something on Instagram one time about some um, just uh, exercises I was doing. I was just holding, you know, um, some kettlebells out, and I was holding, like, just isometric holds, just holds. And what I was trying to do is trying to figure out a way to make myself more steady. Have you ever found a way to... Other than balancing your bow, any fitness, anything that you do that that allows your your natural float of your pin to decrease and, and be a smaller float, have you ever found anything to do? As far as like, for me, what what it's all about the way you set up the bow. Honestly, it's like when I told you. I mean, it's like it's all about you know your holding weight, um, the way the bow is balanced, and you know your draw length. So that's what's going to get you uh, the most, you know, the, the least pin float and stuff like that. I mean, you know, I used to do a lot of weightlifting. I kind of stayed away from it now. My joints kind of hurt, you know. I used to do a lot of benching, do a lot of, you know, stuff like that. But, man, getting that 40-year mark, man, <laughs> stuff hurts, you know. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it was to the point where, you know, I was benching 315 pounds for 23, 24 reps. Just pretty good weight. Anymore, it's like, man, it's just about uh, getting some cardio in, getting some, uh, getting some reps in as far as, you know, shooting the bow. Um, just, I think, you know, I've been developing a little bit of arthritis in my elbows too. So there's a lot of pain there and stuff like that. But uh, for me, it, it still boils down to the balance of the bow, the, the holding weight of the bow, and the, um, and the draw length. The draw length has to be correct. Um, that's really what, uh, what's going to help you out the most. 
obviously anything that you do as far as as far as uh, fitness goes will help, especially, you know, the more, the more shots you shoot, you know, but, uh, but personally, it's, you know, I've just been, uh, that's what I kind of focus on to kind of get me to hold the best. Well, you start pushing that kind of weight, 315 up in them 20 reps. Of course, you're going to get some <laughs> tendonitis and arthritis. That's just <laughs> bound to happen. Our, the, you know, elbows, shoulders, hips, those are all going to wear out fast. And, and I love fitness. Obviously, it's something I'm, I'm as passionate of fitness as I am archery. I just have been my whole life. Um, but things wear out. And so you got to find, yeah. you know, today, I'll be honest, I, I, do, I do CrossFit. And I really, really enjoy that high intensity type stuff, but I've learned my body. You got, I learned my body and what I can do, what I can't do. And you know, the gym has been shut down for the two months, whatever it's been. So uh, we also have a home gym and of course I, I train hard, but I don't train as hard in, in my home gym as I do when I'm around other people that can see me. So Monday right. we had a really hard workout and then yesterday was another one. And I woke up this morning, I'll be honest. I very rarely ever skip the gym. I mean, very rarely. And this morning I woke up and I just, I'm like, I'm going for a walk. <laughs> I'm 45 now. And I, I, I got home. I'm like, gosh, something's really changed. I'm like, I am not recovering. Those two days, they beat me up. Um, and so it's learning my body and doing all that. But I'm, I, I just, you know, I was curious if you, if you had anything. I love what you keep saying, going back to the, the balance of the bow. It comes back to the bow and, and uh, setting it up right, balancing it right, shooting a lot, getting better, being a student of the game, and and uh, we owe it to the animal. I mean, obviously, we're trying to take a life, and there's nothing worse. What, um, Go ahead. When it when it comes down to it, you know, like uh, last year, I went up and I hunted Colorado, and I was up at 12,000, 12, 13,000 feet. And when I found out that I drew the tag, I'm like, man, that's gonna suck. I ended up losing about fifty pounds in a couple of months. And, uh, it's, it was just, you know, diet, running, um, fasting. And I just felt so good after that, that I just kind of maintained that, you know, and, and, um, I've been eating keto and stuff like that. So that kind of, it kind of seems like I don't really have those crashes anymore and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's really helped me out quite a bit as far as, uh, you know, like it, it's just been a pretty good way of, of life that I, that I came across, you know? Um, but, uh, for, for me, it was, I was able to go up there and I had a stock just about every day that I was up there. And, you know, it took me a while to get up and over and come down and all this other stuff. But, uh, dude, it's, you know, if, if you're not, uh, if you're not worried about your health, man, it'll, it'll bite you, man. It'll really bite you. Yeah. And if you love doing it, like we love doing it, I mean, I look at my kids would be out of the house and I don't want, I don't ever want to rush that. You know, you know how it is. You got children. I don't ever want to, my youngest is 11. So in seven, eight years, he'll be out of the house. And yeah, I, I just don't want to rush it that, that when I want to be my 65 years old, I want to be hunting with them and my grandkids and I want to be able to enjoy it. Some of my friends, that have let their health go, they don't get to enjoy it anymore. And I know it bothers them. And then some of my friends that are that age that still are healthy are still hauling up and down the mountains and doing stuff and enjoying life and got so much life to live yet. So fitness is important. I think just even if it doesn't have anything to do with hunting, just staying healthy. And you, we look at this big scare we just had, you know, with this Corona, 
uh, obviously anybody's at risk for it, but the people that are more unhealthy are more at risk for something like that. So the more that you can stay healthy, uh, the better, it is, better off you are. Well, um, just to let you know, um, it's one of those things where, you know, you're definitely right about that. And especially with this last scare, uh, you know, I kind of, I don't know whether it's related or not. I didn't have the antibody test or anything, but uh, March 20th, I had a heart attack. <laughs> um, just told my wife, hey, we got to go and talk to my sister. She's like, yep, she was a nurse, got to get to the hospital. And uh, they checked some stuff. They gave me some nitro. They're like, okay, uh, it's worse than we thought. We're going to life light you up to Tucson. Like, you know, it's like, this is the healthiest that I've been in a long time. It's like, what the heck is going on? You know, get up there. They, uh, they, you know, put the thing to rotor your arteries and stuff like that. And doctor, I'm, I'm looking at the screen and go through nothing, no blockage, no nothing. Um, okay. So, they're like, uh, well, let's go get an MRI. Let's go get, you know, an echo and this that, and the other. Everything came back perfect. Perfect. I'm like, so that fr- it was Friday afternoon. And uh, it was one of those things where uh, I have another episode. I start having chest pains. It's like, like, hey, what's going on? Did an EKG, abnormal. Gave me some morphine, and I think the morphine felt worse than the freaking actual symptoms that I was. And so, turns out, you know, my blood pressure was real low, my pulse was real low for that night. And uh, one of those things that just I felt okay, but the next day I, I was my chest was kind of sore, but I was back to normal. And then uh, they're like, uh, well, we can't let you go because of, you know, the heart, heart enzyme is still rising, the troponin. So we got to wait until it starts going down. I said, okay. And during this time frame, nobody can visit me. So, you know, the only, I could talk to my wife and that was about it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I had to call, make phone calls or whatever. So nobody could come in because of the COVID, because of coronavirus. And then, uh, so I'm like, went to the doc and I'm like, what's going on? Like, we don't know. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? I mean, it's like, nope, we don't. We haven't, we don't know what it is. So it might've been a clock that was stuck in there. And then by the time he got over here, it was gone. Okay. So what happened the second time in the afternoon? I got another clot and all of a sudden it dissolved too. And, uh, dude, after all this that we've been going through, it turns out that there's some people that the COVID will cause uh, cardiovascular issues. Oh, seriously? Yeah. So you think that's what you I had? That's what I'm thinking. But it, Sunday morning, I was fine. Like nothing happened. My blood pressure was back to normal. Everything was like nothing happened. But I had a fever. <laughs> wow. And they're just like, yeah. So. You know, it's, 
you know, there was some other issues, you know, I mean, because I eat keto, you know, my cholesterol levels are a little bit off of what they should be. Sure. You know, I just kept thinking to myself that if, if I wouldn't have lost the weight, if I wouldn't have been healthy, who knows where I would have been at number one, number two, um, it's like, well, you know, you got high cholesterol. I would have been on meds. Just seems like it's, you know, got to really take care of yourself. You know what I mean? So yeah. luckily I don't have any issues. I haven't had any problems. I mean, uh, a week later I was running. So that is so <laughs> wild. Well, I'll tell you, my advice I give everybody is this when it comes to fitness, get yourself in shape once and then just maintain it, manage it. <clears throat> we're, just, we're our own managers. And I see people that get geared up for hunting and, this happens a lot in the Midwest because we don't have big, I mean, we've got big bluffs, but not big mountains, like higher elevations. So someone will draw an elk tag. So they'll, they'll lose 40, 50 pounds. They'll get in great shape and they'll go elk hunting and they come back and then they get, let it all go. And then they'll do it again. I'm like, that's almost harder on your body than just letting it go all together. You know, that, that yo-yo, like just get in shape once and manage it. And the food that we eat makes such a difference. Exercise makes a difference. Everything we can do makes a difference. And it, we, we, you know, I, th- Thank the good Lord, I haven't had any health challenges, but nobody's, you know, I can't take that for granted. I got to continue to work on it because I got a family and all those things. And when our health is in jeopardy, I think that's sometimes when we, when we realize the most how important it is. Because without it, what, it doesn't matter how much money you make or whatever, anything, because without the health, there's none of it, none of it makes a difference. You know, and, and my wife, you know, she recorded a show for me. You know, it was, uh, was a guy he ate vegan um not that i advocate being a vegan <laughs> obviously not but uh but he was uh he ran triathlons i mean he was just the epitome of fitness and he had a heart attack because of that covid so it's one of those things where you know you can't put anything past yourself you know what i mean you, you got to stay on it you got to it, it was a little eye opener experience for me at, at the very least you know but uh it's kind of scary when they don't they're like yeah we don't know what happened <laughs> ah, well i thank god you're still here man you got you got there, there's a reason you're still here that's why i always look at it there's there's more you got yet to do he didn't take you home yeah. so there's more you got to do i think so yeah well man Miguel, I'm just honored that you jumped on the podcast with me spent we spent two hours together just like that so oh, really? we yeah we've been <laughs> I said when, when we got started, so this is on YouTube as well, so you'll be able to see his bow and, and get to get to uh, take a look at him and, and watch what we're doing here, but it'll be on podcasts as well. But we talked for about 15 minutes probably at the beginning, and I'm like, let's just start talking because normally, man, we get a bunch of good stuff at the beginning. I don't even get it recorded. And so I, you know, I started, I said, uh, Big Mo, I said, hey, well, mind if we go about an hour? If, if it goes a little over, you okay with that? He goes, ah, whenever you want to be done talking to me. But time flies when you're talking about things you love and just – you're passionate about it. it. It goes fast, but I've enjoyed every moment of it. I was really looking forward to it because, as I said, I've been a big fan of yours from the outside. I've never got to personally meet you, but, um, you know, I get down in your neck of the woods. Maybe one day I'll be able to come out and at least spot for you and get to watch how you do it all. And, and, uh, I mean, that seems good, man. I mean, yeah. I make a trip to Phoenix every now and again. Uh, maybe we can get together, see if. 
Oh, heck you know, yeah. We'll go out to eat and we'll eat healthy food and then we'll go shoot. And I'm gonna, then we'll, we'll, we'll do all the things we do. And yeah, we'll share the mountain with you one day. I love sharing the mountain with good people that know what they're doing and respect, uh, respect every, every aspect of it. So it's been a pleasure having you on, buddy. I really appreciate it. And I'll tell all, all the listeners, make sure you follow him um, on Instagram at BigMo101. And then you're also on uh, Facebook as well, Miguel Morales, right? Yeah. Yep. So make yep. sure you follow him and, and go through and like all his photos because he's a, he's a world-class killing machine. And it's great having guys like you that are willing to uh, share some knowledge, tips, tactics, and gear with other people to help them out. So I appreciate you, Miguel. No, I, thank you for giving me the opportunity to come on here, man. I do appreciate it. All right, buddy. And we'll talk to you soon. We'll see you on the mountain, all right? Sounds good. God bless you, buddy.